Miss You Day Chicago is a church made of congregations rallying around the singular vision of joining God in the renewal of all things new. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for more information. What's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Chris is going to read the scripture for the day. Good morning, everyone. Today we are reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Carissa. Um, Well, today we're talking about Mary's song. Um, Many people know it as the Magnificat. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about Mary this morning um, as one of the, uh, the, the women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy that was all leading up to Mary. Uh, you know, Suzanne taught on, on uh, the story of Ruth, and Christine taught on the story of, of Tamar. And um, today it's all kind of leading up to this story of Mary. Uh, so today I want to talk about uh, what does it mean to have upside-down joy? What does it mean to have um, upside-down joy? You could call it subversive joy. Uh, Mary was around the age of 14 or 15, probably around the age of my daughter Naomi, um, when she, most people believe, when she gave birth uh, to Jesus. Now Mary is, I don't know what kind of background you come in, I don't know what's in the room here, I don't know if you came from a Catholic tradition where everything was about Mary, and it was just like, Mary, 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 you know, and now you, you just hear Mary and you kind of, you might be, you know, your body might start to tense up because it brings up some memories, and so if that's you, I, I, I'm Pray that you're able to, you know, excuse those those triggers. Others of you, um, if you're grew up Protestant, way underappreciate Mary often. Um, but you got to think about the first few centuries of the church had this fascination with Mary, and you have to wonder why. What's under the subconscious of that? And I think it's because Jesus represents God's Son. You know, He is the the divine Son, and Mary kind of represents what it means to be human. Um, she is the first to receive and carry the life of Jesus. And in such, we are also called to do the same as Mary, to receive and carry the life of Jesus. Uh, and I just Googled imaged some images of Mary. Um, and so here's some pictures. There she is in her North Carolina blue, Gotar Hills. Um, she's always in North Carolina blue all the time. I, I, I think there was some connection to d- divinity or something in the early um, church, but, and her clothes are always so perfectly pleated. Do you ever notice that? Like, who had that kind of iron? You ever go to your grandma's house, and she's got that, like, big iron that's just, like, really heavy duty from, like, the 80s, and it's still working? Is that just me? Um, but she had, who had the iron to pleat? Go to the next slide. I mean, the, not that one. Back to the very beginning. We'll get into that one. Though, is there another one? Yeah, that one. Look at those pleats. And the gold is just precious, and she's always... Um, I don't know if she had rosacea uh, early on in the church. She's always got, you know, blushing red cheeks. 
and she's always white. And <laughs> there's all these images of Mary that I think we just get wrong. And um, the true story of Mary is, the next slide, you can go to that, go ahead and go to that. We're going to get into this other subversive joy of Mary, where the, the song she sings, if you think about it, this is by uh, an artist named uh, Ben, um, oh, I forgot his last name, somebody may know. What is it? Yes, Ben Wildflower. And uh, it, this is the, the words of her song on there, very much. There's Mary trampling over the serpent, which is you know, representative of the enemy. And it says, cast down the mighty, fill the hungry, lift the lowly, and send the rich away. Um, and those are literally the words in her song that she sings. So we're going to get into like what was going on there. What, what was that about? Uh, Mary's song that she sings is such a revolutionary carol. And it's a song, it does have a song, an, like a burst of joy to it, a burst of, of energy, a burst of praise. And I want, to, want you to think about, like, when's the last time you had just wild celebration without any inhibition? When's the last time you had wild celebration without any inhibition? Maybe it was a concert you were at uh, where you just were completely filled with the wild ecstasy of just the crowd or a, or a, or a comedy show. Um, for me, the thing that comes to mind was November 3rd, 2016, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. I was watching the game. I saw that we were about to win. I decided to drive down to 1242 West Addison, um, texted a lot of people that we have to watch the rest of the game there, and um, just in case we won. And we're there. We're watching the game uh, a few blocks away from the stadium. Now, the game was away. Remember, the game was in Cleveland. And they, they, they win the game. And we go wild. I mean, we're flipping over couches. I did one of these things. Like, we're just like hugging and wild. Like, we're just going crazy, tackling each other. We go out into the streets. I don't have the photo of me, but I'm, I'm there with, this is one of my photos, but I just wanted you to see the crowd. I mean, this filled up out of nowhere. Everyone's there. Um, the Taco Bell sign is going down. People are climbing on top of the Taco Bell that used to be there on Addison. Um, there, the, the whole experience was just wild. Wild praise, wild joy without inhibition. And I think about the church often that we, <laughs> we don't really experience that as much in the church um, or much so in our own lives. And so I want to talk about subversive joy. Now, um, back into Mary. Why did she sing this song? Remember the story? She's met by Gabriel. He tells her the news. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, Emmanuel. And she says this beautiful phrase, She's first afraid, uh, she is filled with fear, but then she says, let it be unto me. Let it be unto me. Um, so her and the Beatles learned something very key early on, which was, we're all stuck in fear. And if you notice, anytime an angel appeared to anyone, they were stuck with fear. And usually the next response is inadequacy. I can't do this, I'm stuck. And I don't know about you, but if you ever felt in that feeling of stuckness in your life, where you feel stuck and you can't get through to the next thing and you're like trying to figure out what is the next thing? What, how do I get the, out of this mode of stuckness? And I would say that that stuckness, I agree with um, Edmund, um, I forgot his last name, he, he's the, uh, the family systems theory guy. He says that all of this stuckness is a result of fear and anxiety and that you can't think your way out of being unstuck. Um, the way to get unstuck is often through play, adventure, and through imagination, 
and through risk, and these are, and, and, which is faith. And I think Mary got that. I think she experienced that fear. Most people felt stuck and unworthy, and yet she comes to this resolve of, let it be unto me. I will go through with this. And, and she rejoices in the moment. She rejoices at this moment. Now, she gets this news, and then she travels 70-mile trek where she lived to where she would end up. Mary was a part of this group called the Anawim. If you ever want to geek out, just type in Anawim research paper, P PDF, and just go crazy. Because it's just, it's an interesting group of people. The Anawim were uh, the poorest of the poor of Israel. They believed that they were one of the faithful remnants left, and that that they were the true faithful Israel, that, that all of rest of Israel has gone astray, but they have been faithful to a life of simplicity and poverty, and that the Messiah would come through them. So if you think about the, this belief of Mary, this, this, this amazing act of Mary, um, that wasn't just birthed in isolation. Like, she was a part of a community, right? Like, and I think that's really important. Like the song of joy that she sings, this, this place of gratitude and appreciation and let it be so, this a place of surrender. It wasn't birthed in just like character development, professional development. Um, she, they, she didn't really, we have nothing to know about her character. It was birthed in the context of a community that was continually teaching this aspect of what it means to be faithful. And I think that's really important, that if you're going to find joy, it comes from the context of belonging locally. It belongs coming locally to a community. And um, she, she had 70 miles to ponder this message. You're going to birth the Messiah. Now, I mean, think about all that she's pondering. I think of, I've been thinking about this song, and I just think it's crazy. I just think it's crazy that we today, as Northside privileged people in Chicago, are reading the diary of a young Palestinian immigrant of the age of 13 who was poor, who is, it would be like reading the, celebrating the diary of a homeless person that we've never heard of. You know, and I want you to think about how crazy it is that we have this diary, that we have this work. It is the most uh, profound work of any woman in the New Testament uh, that was written, and it's filled with theology, rich theology. So I imagine as she's leaving the 70-mile trek, she's a part of the Anawim. She's also occupied, so Roman government has occupied all of Israel, making sure no one would get out of line. As they were traveling, there would have been Roman guards protecting, making sure that no one revolted against Rome. Um, as a, a woman who was not married, she would have been uh, at risk of being harmed, as Christine taught us and Suzanne taught us. Uh, she she had a long time to ponder these words. And so she, she begins to, I think, con in concert with this news about being born, think about all the stories of the Old Testament. Hannah, the story of, story of Hannah and her song, that she, the poetry she wrote in terms of being barren. Right? We had all these stories of, of people being barren in the Old Testament, a lot. Um, but, but here she is thinking of now I'm giving birth. And she also pondered probably Miriam, her namesake song. Hebrew, in her name, Hebrew, it would have been Miriam. In Exodus 15, the song of Miriam. She sings a song with a tambourine that she's freed. They're freed from all of, of Pharaoh's and slavery. Um, they're freed from the empire of Egypt and the slavery that in, entrenched upon their life. So she had all this time to think about these songs. 
Now, not only did she have the good news to ponder in her heart, but I imagine on this trek of 70 miles, she also was pondering all the, the challenges. Um, I love this book by uh, my, one of my professors, Calvin Miller, wrote a children's trilogy book called The Singer. And he talks about Jesus being the singer and that he was a carpenter and by trade, but he was meant to be a singer. And he talks about wanting to sing this song, but the world hater comes to him and tells him he wants him to sing the world hater song. And I imagine Mary on this trek for 70 miles, just the, the world hater, the enemy, coming to her and saying, here's the song I want you to sing. Here's the song that you need to sing in your heart. Did God really say <laughs> that you would give birth to the Messiah? Like, do you, are you delusional? Do you really think you, the Anawim, the woman of poor poverty, is going to birth the Savior of the world? Are you crazy? Look back all throughout history. I mean, they named Noah Noah because he was going to be the hope of the world. And look what happened to Noah, okay? Um, he died with all the animals, you know? Like, so, I mean, think about all these lies, all these scripts that she would have also been entertaining. Did you really hear the angel correctly? You think you're worth, worth this? You are worth nothing in the eyes of the world. How are you going to care for God's son if this is true? All these lies, all these doubts, any of these ring true to you? Anytime God's told you to do something, told you to go on an adventure, to play, to have risk like we talked about, and then these voices of the world hater come. You really think you can do that? And I believe she experienced this. I believe she experienced all of this that she was pondering. And um, I don't know about you, but the, these, these voices come. And so she, she's in the middle of this doubt and wrestling yet, clean to promise. She tells Elizabeth what's going on, and Elizabeth's like, I've got a baby inside me too, and his name's John, and it's kind of like going crazy right now as you say this, so it's affirmation that this is real. Um, so that happens, and then, um, th then she begins to sing this song. So, um, and then the verse, first verse of the song is this, uh, right here. My soul magnifies, that's why they call it the Magnificat in Latin, the Lord, and my re spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate. The word look is this word uh, recognized or almost like a second gaze, like a pondering. Um, God has had his gaze upon me in my nothingness. You could say it as he's, he's looked at me and remembered me and seen me in my, in my unseenness. Uh, he, he's, he's there with me and seeing me. Now, I love this. She says that in the next verse, for he has been mindful of me in my poverty. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then it says, he, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I've been thinking about that phrase, the mighty one has done great things for me. I don't know why, but I, I get weird about calling God mighty. I don't know why. It just, I don't know what it is. I'm just, I don't know why, like, oh, you're so powerful, you're so mighty. I know he is, but it feels... Like I'm relating to him as an as a authority figure or superior. I don't know what it is, but I've been thinking about this. Like, why is that that I have a problem with that? And something I've been discovering this week, and I don't know if this rings true of you, I know God to be mighty. Like, I know theologically God is mighty. I don't need God to be mighty right now. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't need, I have, I can rely on myself 
my own intellect, my own strategy, willpower, whatever. I don't need God to be mighty. And my question for you today is, like, in your life right now, do you need God to be mighty? Are you, are you connected enough to your own poverty of soul? Are you aware of the, dis, the illusion of control that you need God to be mighty? Because when the cancer call comes, when the phone call comes and you hear the most horrific nightmare that you never wanted to hear, or when you're left, you thought you were in love with someone for the rest of your life and they give you the call that it's no longer working out, or you're fired from your job, or whatever, you need God to be mighty. But in our comfort, we often don't need him to be mighty. And so I pray this, this, this message you see that, that Mary needed God to be mighty. She, she in her poverty, and I think God wants us that's how subversive joy works. Subversive joy works when we need God to be mighty. Now, um, there's this beautiful thing that's going on here, and a truth that I've been pondering is wherever the kingdom of God breaks in, there's an outbreak of joy. Now, I know that sounds kind of rah-rah-ish, but I don't mean it to be that. But God's presence broke into Mary's life, and in that was an outbreak of joy. There was a, there was a um, another way of putting it is there was, a, as C.S. Lewis says, surprised by joy. Surprised by joy was a title C.S. Lewis wrote um, because his wife was Joy Davidman. Joy Davidman, he married her. Um, now, she was divorced at the time, so that was big taboo among a lot of Christians. They didn't like C.S. Lewis getting married to her. But he married her while she was dying of cancer on her in, in the hospital. They did the wedding in the hospital. And he wrote a, a very intellectual book about pain called The Problem of Pain. It's very heady. It's not, it's not very good, in my opinion. Uh, uh, but then he wrote a book called uh, Grief Observed, and his name of his autobiography is Surprised by Joy, his wife. And Grief Observed, if he experienced this, much more pastoral, much more helpful. And I say that wherever God's kingdom breaks in, there's an outbreak of joy because... Um, Joy is elusive. Joy is, I just want to do a little excursus here on joy. Um, joy is not something that you go and say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to create joy. Um, joy is much more like you looking all over your house for that social security card because you have to go to the DMV to get your new real ID and you can't find it, and you don't know where it is, and you've torn the whole house upside down, and then you finally pull open the drawer, and your social security card is there, and you're like, that's joy. <laughs> like, that, you're like, what did you learn from the day? My pastor tells me joy is a social security card. <laughs> no, um, but there's this, it's this sense of discovering joy that is not something that, it's not something you create, it's something you discover. The best way I can think of it is joy is like that, um, the yoga ball, it's, you can't like sit on it very firmly. If you do, it'll like plop over. You can't trap joy. You can't, and, and I don't think we're meant to. If we were happy all the time, that would just be like, it'd be weird, right? Like if you think about it, happy, happiness, Christians do weird things with the word joy. I think joy is just a deeper, a deeper version of happiness. They're, they're coincided. It's not like Christians like to go, happiness is, you know, temporal and joy is eternal. No, 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 no. Like joy is just a deeper form of happiness. Um, Joy, it does circumstance, it does pass all, all circumstances. Um, so you, you know, there's these joys that are competing, right? Like, if you think about, like, I just want to hang out with my friends and, and have a good time. Now, if you did that every day for 360, you would be like that poor kid in college that's like, 
you know, just all you'll do is sit around and play video games and hang out and you just start to feel gross, right? Like, so you can't always have joy explosions every day, but you can, like Mary, what I think is she was able to do, again, is that gets into that sense of when I'm met by fear and I'm stuck, there's a way of getting unstuck. And that unstuck is creativity and it's curiosity. Um, there, I can't remember who said this, but uh, she said that creativity is, is, is the way out of fear. And often that is through curiosity. I think, I think Mary was curious about this. I think she was playful. I think she was adventurous. I think she was, was bold and courageous and was ready for a revolutionary adventure. Um, so, so wherever God's kingdom comes, there's an outbreak of joy. Matthew 13 says this way, that there's a parable Jesus told, and it said this, that there's a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Um, Luke 15 says it this way, that whenever uh, one sinner repents, that the, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents and returns to God rather than 99 others who are righteous and haven't stayed away, straight away. So whenever God's kingdom breaks into our life, there is joy. And that, that breaking in-ness is a, is a surprise often. It's, a, it's paying attention is kind of the prequel to joy. It's the prequel to joy is paying attention. And so the second thing I want you to see is this. That outbreak of joy often comes from the margins. It comes from the margins just like the social security card is on the margins. It's not front and center. It's somewhere hidden, somewhere forgotten, somewhere left out. But in our social life, in our social sphere of life, the outbreak of joy is often found when we are with people on the margins when we are spending time with them, because I don't know about you, but whenever I'm spending time with people on the margins, it's, it's like this, um, I don't know, it's, it's just this universal solidarity that happens. It's like, wow, we are the same. I have this life, and you have this life, and we have the same hopes, the same fears, the same doubts, the same, you know, there, there's a lot of sameness between us. And me spending time with you brings me joy, and I learn a lot from you. And so Advent teaches us to see life through different eyes, to see life through different spectacles, to see through the, lies, uh, the, through the life of a teenage girl pregnant unexpectedly, to see life through prisoners held captive, to see life through the lenses of an immigrant family. That's the kind of reality check of Advent. It pulls us out of our slumber and affluence and for us to pay attention. God looked, remember Mary said, God looks upon me, she has seen. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because God has looked at me. The part of the beauty of Advent is we are seen. Now, we are often used to being the ones seen. There are people in the world, though, that are not used to being seen, that are not used to being seen. And the call of Advent, the call of Mary, is for us to take that seriously and to see them. And I think this is the mystery of Advent. This is the mystery of what it means. This is what Christmas is all about, is is paying attention to the least of these. And that has everything to do with Christmas. And um, if, we, if we don't see, if we who know freedom and power and privilege are disconnected from the edges and the margins, if we don't see them as God saw Mary, we are missing out on joy that is true joy. 
we will be stuck holding artificial consumer joy rather than true joy. So my challenge during Advent this season is to enter into the songs of those on the margins. Enter into the songs. They're songs that they're singing. They're stories that they have. Get to know their songs and know every song has a story. And if we can't long and yearn with them for the things that they long and yearn for, we can't celebrate the way Mary celebrated. And so I, I challenge you to let's have eyes to see and ears to hear those songs coming up from the margins. Let's learn their songs so we can advocate for them and bring new good news to the world. God's love is so rich for every single human being, and that is why it's an affront to God when people get pushed down and pressed out. And I'm still wrestling with this, but I do know the times in my life when I'm truly connected to people that are on the margins, I'm just a happier person. <laughs> I just am. I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not, I don't want to quantify it or try to analyze it. I don't know if that's because I'm a 3-2 on the Enneagram. It's just I'm a happier person. And my, pray, my, my, my fear for us is that we'll be so... Um, busy in these seasons of these middle life years that we're going to become 70 and 80 and be like, I, you know, you're, you talk to 70 and 80 year olds and usually they're like, yeah, I had my time when I did that. <laughs> and they're not, they're not able to do that. My fear is that we'll get to that age and we'll never have literally slowed down enough to be like, yeah, like it, it, might, it might be as simple as like find one other faith-based nonprofit in Chicago that you are connected to outside the church. Like find one, just find one and like Give your time, give your prayers, give your resources, give your connection and volunteer with them. Like, get involved with the city. Get involved with this city. Don't be a tourist in Chicago. Be a stakeholder here. Be one who opens doors for others. And so, I love this other thing too, I want to say. Mary's name, Miriam, means rebel. That's crazy. Can you imagine her parents being like, we're the poor Anawim, and Rome is occupying us. I'm going to name my daughter Rebel. That's gutsy. That's ballsy, if I can say that. That's, that's just, like, crazy. And naming your daughter Miriam Rebel when you're occupied by Jews and not free, I believe this is the call of this uh, defiance the defiant hope that we're called to have as Christians. Real quick, one more story, and then, then I'm going to be done. Um, there's, a, there's a book called The Cellist of Sarajevo, and it's a story about uh, when Sarajevo was under siege and under war, much like Gaza is right now, just in, in real life, just all of Sarajevo was just filled with rubble, and there was a cellist that went out for 22 days and played, played a song in, in, in his cello every day in the middle of the rubble. And it was just this beautiful, like, contrast. And it was this thing that gave the people hope. That they would be in the midst of their rubble, they would be in the midst of their suffering, and they would say, I want, long for another world. I long for another kingdom. I, long, I need an imagination for another hope. And this cellist playing um, this beautiful song would begin to create that. It would not only long for another world, but it would be like, I want that world to come here. And when we as Christians live into this subversive joy, we paint that, that kind of defiant hope for others and say, wow, I want that to come here. I want that kind of life to come here. So how do we catch this song? 
How do we catch what is stirring in God's kingdom? How crazy is it to imagine this? This is one thing that's been blowing my mind as I meditate on this. When Jesus was born, he had to be sung asleep, right? This is probably the song that was sung over Jesus' life every day as a lullaby. Every day as a mother singing this song. So let's read what was sung over Jesus, potentially, if we could just use our imagination. Probably true. Go back to the, the, the slide again. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So how do we catch the God's song? What did Jesus do when he lived his life? When he began his ministry, what did he say? I'm here. My ministry is to set the captives free. My ministry is to bind up the brokenhearted. My ministry is to feed the hungry. My ministry is to give sight back to the blind. Bless you. Jesus' life went on, right? And he died this painful death. So there was this time where Mary probably couldn't sing this song. Her son is dead. What? Like the only people who are casted out are his disciples that were supposed to be following him. Is, is God mighty? In that moment, she had to be wondering, is God really mighty? What kind of God would allow his son to be beaten, falsely accused, and spat on? And now the proud, who are supposed to be sent away, Caesar, Herod, they're all safe in their seats of power. Is God mighty now? She probably heard that voice say. I thought, you, you really believe? Did God really say this is God's son? Probably crept into her mind. That world haters said that again and again. Is this really true? And so he finally, Jesus in his death, crushed the head of that world hater that was whispering to Mary all along and rose again to new life. Did God really say? Yes, he did. And is God mighty? Yes, he is. Do you need a God who is mighty? Not do you believe him to be mighty, but do you need him to be mighty? Do you know your poverty? Do you believe in the illusion of control or have you remembered that we're all going somewhere? We're all going home. <laughs> so let's be gracious with one another because we're all just walking each other home. We're all going in the same direction and we all need God to be mighty. Amen? Let's pray. Um, God, we, we come before you today um, just remembering this, this subversive joy. I know that there's a lot of things brought. I pray that you put all these pieces together for us in a way that makes sense. I know a lot of things were said, but what, I just want to give you a moment of silence. What had your name on it this morning? Was it feeling stuck? Was it like me, recognizing that you're dependent on yourself? And you don't need God to be mighty. Was it the call to being with those on the margins, knowing that there's joy that's truly joy there? 
Or was the big takeaway just that we would have wild celebration without inhibition, that we would praise God for all of it? Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now, having heard God's word, we're going to say the Nicene Creed together and declare the mystery of our faith. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit, Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Missio Day Lincoln Square. If you'd like to know more about Missio Day Lincoln Square, please reach out to us at lincolnsquare at missiodaychicago.com.